Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir. Once again, not being given at night. Um, Baruch Hashem, we have a few simchas tonight. A bar mitzvah, two weddings. And we need to get all of them. So... Tonight the Shia cannot broadcast, so we're going to put it on today. And the Mietza Hashem Habalinu Lateva next week will be hopefully back on schedule for at night for those that join us at Skype, etc. And coming in person. Lilo Nishmas, Arambarach Halevi, Ben Yudha Halevi, and Amelia Basara. Today is Chav Gimel Sivan. This Shabbos, Pasha Shlach, Shabbos Mevarchim Chedish Tammuz. A special month. And a month, of course, highlighted with Yudbezi Gimel Tammuz, which Mietza Hashem, Habalina Leteva, we will talk about when we enter into Tammuz. Shlach Lecha Anoshim, we know, is a very powerful parsha. Mitzvah Chala, story of the Miraglim, people of the Avedazara, Kesheitzim. A lot happening in this parsha. A lot of lessons to be learned, a lot of lessons to be derived from this parsha. Going back to the story of Purim, which is not in Sivan, obviously, it's in other. Story of Purim, Mardachai Hatzadik was the leader of the generation. And as the leader of the generation, he directed the Eden in the time of crisis how to deal with Achashverish, how to deal with the decrees of Haman, how to deal with the daily decadence that took place, how to deal with all the other trials and tribulations that Jews faced. Mardachai HaTzadik, referred to in the Megillah as plain Mardachai. No Reb, no Rabbi, no HaTzadik, no nothing. We know him as Mardachai HaTzadik. As we know Esther as Esther Hamalka. We also know that throughout the Megillah, the Abish's name, Hashem's name, is never mentioned. And the Mufarshim that tell us that each time, because that's esoterically written, Megillah, each time the word Hamelech is mentioned, it's mentioned as reference to Hashem, Chajj And so too, when Mardachai sends out his decree, he does not send out just 
a message to himself and to his people and around him, close to him, not only to the generation in which he lived, but it's all future generations, is his message and his decree and his way of life. And it was therefore on Chav Gimel Sivan that Marachai wrote to all the Jews to go out and to pray and to take advantage of this day. And it's on this day that he sent out letters to all of Klal Yisrael. And therefore it is this day that is an auspicious day for all of us to pray, to beseech, and to reach out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all that we ask. For this is a day that is open for tefillah. This is a day that is open for a person's prayers and beseechments on their own behalf, on behalf of others that are dear to them. Whether it be the Rafuah Shalema, whether it be for Shaduchim, whether it be for peace of mind, whether it be for happiness, for joy, whatever prayer one needs, one should see to it. You could write it down and send this message to God. Little boy that used to take on a paper, write down his message fold it to a paper airplane and then send it off to God. But Hashem does hear the Jews' prayers and Hashem does take and values and yet Hashem will answer each and every person's prayer today on the 23rd day of the Hebrew month of Sivan. And may it be the Almighty's will that all those that need Shaduchim should be blessed with Shaduchim. All those that need peace of mind should be blessed with peace of mind. Health, a very, very big priority to everyone, physical and mentally. And of course, what people mistake is the most important of them all, but yet can't live without it, wealth. but not going in order and of course saving the best for last Nachas and may we merit to all the blessings of everything that we could possibly ask for may Almighty fulfill all the requests of our hearts Shema Hashem Kol Meshalis Libeinu Teva V'Levracha Allow us to return our focus to Pasha's Shalach this week's Pasha. The Almighty is not happy with Moshe Rabbeinu's idea, with the idea of the Meraglim, of sending spies to see Israel. It's only later in Chumash Devarim that we hear what it was that twisted Moshe's arm that caught Moshe's ear, that perhaps was an argument that tipped the scale that allowed Moshe to send these people in. When it reiterates the story of the Meraglim, Tzedah says that the people came to Moshe and they said, send these people the Yachbidu Lanu. 
means in real the sherish of the word vayachbru is chafal to dig to dig up something on the land although they wanted just to hear what was going on in the land the Meshavina gives them a list of things that had to happen that he wanted them to find in the land but vayachbru nonetheless they said to him Mesha listen you know very well that the people in Canaan are going to be hiding all their jewelry, all their silver, all their gold, because they know, excuse me, they know that the Jews are coming and the Jews are going to conquer the land. And they said, okay, they're losing their land, they're losing their houses, they understand. They can in Bashtain, as we say in Yiddish. But if I can prevent the Jews from getting the riches as well, I'm going to do that. And they're going to start to hide everything in the walls of their houses, wherever it may be. Tells us the Gemara that when a person had seras in their house, when a leprosy struck a person's house, they needed to break out those bricks from the wall. When they broke out the bricks from the wall, they found the treasure in the wall which the Kananim had hidden previously. So they would in essence have to dig out all these riches, all the spoil that were left for them in the land. So the Yidin came to Moshe and they said, send people and if the people in the land are going to see we're sending spies they're going to set back a little bit, they'll step back a second and they'll say, hmm, Maybe it's not God that's going to come battle for them. Maybe, perhaps, just perhaps, they're looking to fight conventionally. And the proof is they're sending spies. I guess they're sending spies, and they're going to have to map out, and they're going to see the best plans and the best routes, etc. They can't beat us at hand-to-hand battle. The only way they can beat us is miraculously. If they're not coming with miracles, they're coming hand-to-hand battle. It's a no-brainer. They're not killing, they're not beating us, they're not taking over our properties, our homes. We don't have to hide our jewelry. We don't have to hide our gold and silver. Fantastic. So let's undig it. Let's take it all out. And we're good to go. So they said, in essence, V'yachbudulana, the Jidin said, now they are going to dig up for us to begin with they are not going to bury anything and we are going to be good we will have whatever we need based on this logic 
Moshe Rabbeinu acquiesced to send Miragam. Not to send Miragam, but as we'll soon see and soon discuss, what it is that he actually sent, and what actually transpired here. The Torah tells us, prior to their departure, Vayikra Moshe Lehishaya bin Nun Yehoshua. Moshe Rabbeinu calls his prize student Yehishaya bin Nun, and he says, he gives him a little bit of advice, fatherly advice, teacher advice. And then he blesses him and calls him, he changes his name from Yehishaya to Yehishua. What was that all about? He adds his name. He adds the letter Yud to his name, which is a letter of God's name. And he davened for him, Rashi explains. Hashem Yeshiacha Meetzas Meragli, may the Almighty save you from the wicked thoughts, advice, plans of the spies. From this action we see, and therefore, a few issues. First off, Kolev, sorry, in the heart of Moshe Rabbeinu, deep down he had a problem with the rest of the people. But that makes no sense. Because the Pesach says, Kulam Anoshim. They're all Anoshim. And Rashi explains, what does Anoshim mean? At that moment, they were all pure, holy tzaddikim. Why did he suspect? Why did he have any kind of suspicion that these people were going to do anything imperfect? So much so, that he had to bless Yeshua to spare him from their master plans. This question gets deeper. How is it actually possible that these chosen people that Moshe Rabbeinu chose himself made a 180 on him? Totally reversed themselves against him. They went from one extreme to another. So much so that from Kshayim Hayu, from being Tzaddikim, they turned into people that came out with a revolution 
cry, a cry of revolution. We can't go up there. They're stronger than us. They're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us. These were holy people that Meshach Rabbeinu hand chose, hand picked. What happened? What became of them? And how is it that Meshach was so aware of it that he had to bless Yeshua to keep him away from them? Let us look in reference to the Tehidus, the reference to these people. How does the Tehidus reference these people? He doesn't call them Miraglim spies. He tells them to go check out the land. Torim. What is Torim? Torim are tourists. The actual spy goes in to try to conjure up a plan of action to see what he thinks and give his opinion as to who, what, when and where it can happen. And of course sometimes to embellish as we know people know how to do. And to put up a little more than there was, a little more mustard and ketchup on the story than just simply what actually happens. A tourist comes to the land and says, ooh, wow, wow, ooh. Doesn't judge. Doesn't look to judge. Doesn't look to opinionate. Just plain. Check it out. Look at that. And Meshach Rabbeinu sent these people as tourists. So in essence, he didn't want much of an opinion from them. He didn't want them turning into spies and to give me a, what they think and what they, th- what they imagine. And therefore he didn't obviously want them turning on him from one end, one extreme to the other, totally downhill. But when 12 people get together, before leaving on their journey, And he sat with all of them. He saw they're looking, they're becoming too philosophical here. They're becoming too involved mentally with this. They're making it into something. It's not a thing. The idea was simply to go to show our faces so that people should think that we're not going to fight them. They should leave the jewelry out on on the streets. They should leave out the wares. And he gives them a list. 
When he started to hear the way they were asking, when he was describing what he wanted and they were asking such questions, he had a red flag. The red flag went up and said, "Uh uh-oh. Now, he wasn't second-guessing. Understand, please. When a person has a plan, when a person is dedicated or devoted to a, to a path, they jump in and they go. And they forge ahead. When it's a project, a dual project, where they have to do with somebody else, they need to, to begin with gain the trust of the person. They need to gain confidence in the person. They need to develop a rapport with the person. Once all that is done, once they are set in their way, once they are determined that this person is not going to stab them in the back, and this person is going to go with them and follow through all the way, you don't second guess. You don't have doubts. And you know, push comes to shove, you ask for anything, the sky the limit. And you tell that person whatever you want. Because this is a person that you're relying on to complete your mission together with you. Meshach Rabbeinu had and looked for this dedication and this connection and this devotion from the Meraglim, but he saw that something was wrong. They were second-guessing, they were asking questions, they had doubts, they had... And therefore he said, Yeshua, I need to save you, Ma'atzas Meraglim, from their train of thought, from the way they are behaving, from the way they are acting. Although they didn't say anything wrong, they didn't do anything wrong. Their words were speaking tons. Their words were speaking mountains. Their words were giving off messages, vibrations that were not conducive. That they are on board. They didn't, they didn't say, I want to go against you. They didn't say, I want to do a sin. They didn't, want to say, they didn't say, I want to revolt against what your plan is. And I want to make sure that we don't go into Israel, to the Holy Land, that's Israel. They just cast little nuances, little things, little words, little ideas, little thoughts, that said, that spoke volumes. Even more so, the Midah Vesh Rabbeinu is Midas Amas. The Master was pure truth. 
And the Chazal tell us this, if you're keeping score at home, the Gemara Sanhedrin, Kufir Aleph, Amir Aleph, on the bottom. 111, side 1, towards the bottom. The MS, Zeh Moshe. says, what's truth, Moshe? In order to be an emissary of Moshe's, and when a person is an emissary, there's Shluche Shal Adam Kameisei, the emissary is like the person himself. The shliach, the one that connects to them, needs to be fully truthful. As soon as an iota twisted in the wrong direction, and from Tayorim, from tourists, they became spies, they lost their connection. They were no longer Shluchim of Mesha. They were no longer on board. And that was a complete disconnect. It was only Kolev and Yehoshua. They did not caught up, get caught up in the Atzas Miraglim. And therefore they remained fully Shluchim of Mesha Rabbeinu. And this is what gave them the strength not to deviate whatsoever from what the Shriach and the Meshaleach was telling them. And they came back and said, Teva Haaretz, Ma'id, Ma'id. And because they were pure Shluchim, and because they knew that they were in the Kayach of the Meshaleach, and because they knew that there was no doubt in their mind ever, and they were able to back and understand that Moshe was everything, and Moshe Emes, Vesayrosa Emes, although this is the, the battle cry of Kerach. Therefore they also took their Chelek of the Miraglim in the land, and they stood in their stead. What was it though? that Yeshua had, that Kalev didn't, and that Kalev had, that Yeshua didn't. What was it that they saw when they came to Yisrael that twisted their heads? What was it they saw that they repeated that because of the wording they used, drove the Jews off their minds. Yeshua and Kalev. Yeshua was a Talmud Muvak. He was the first, he was the total devoted, dedicated one person with his teacher, with his master, with, Yeshua, with Moshe. There were no ifs, ands, and buts. There were no separations. They were totally, totally connected. Their souls were intertwined. Their hearts and minds were intertwined. They were one. And we find that Yeshua and Kalev come to try to talk to the Jews to tell them, Teva Aretz made Ma'id to try to nullify everything that the other Meraglim said 
And when they were together, when they stood united to try to talk, could you go to the other end of the kitchen? Not only the entire nation didn't listen, they looked to stone them. When Kalev spoke, Vayas Kalev. Vayas Kalev Islam, he shut them up. Hello. They became silent. And they listened. What was the difference? Let's explain this according to Chassidus, really. Yeshua and Kalev were spared for, in essence, two different reasons. But they were different than the other 12 spies. And how is it then, when you're a group of 12, 10 of you sin, and 2 are able to walk away? First of all, Yeshua was saved from the Miraglim, as we heard before. Hashem, Ishiacha, Meratzas, Miraglim. He had letter Yud of God's name added to his name, and Meshach gives him a blessing that the Almighty should protect you, save you from the Atzas Miraglim. On the other hand, Kalev did something else. As they arrived into the Holy Land, Kalev ran to Hebron, to Kever Oves, the Gemaras HaMachpela of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. And he fell, and he cried, and he, la- and he begged, and pleaded on Kever Oves, that he should not be tested, he should not be amongst his Chavedim, he should not be within their master plan. So when they returned, they also came back with the same. So when they spoke together, they were holding by Lirigim Eisim Bavanim. And when Kolev speaks himself, Vayas Kolev Esa'om. In their wording itself, we find difference as well. When Yeshua and Kalev spoke together, they tried to explain in a brilliant way there's nothing to fear from the people living in the land. On the other hand, when Kalev himself spoke, he didn't base only on that fact, but he added a munah Emuna belief that's higher than Seichel. Let us go up and inherit. And the Chazal tell us, if you keep your score at home, it was just now in the Sechtes Seita, we just learned it, Lamed Hei Amar Aleph, 35, side 1. That I feel in Moshe Hayyam, Mitzavah, Alinu, Lalis, Hashemayim, that's the Echlalis. If Moshe even tells us to go up to heaven, we'll succeed in doing that. 
If Moshe told us to enter the land, we should listen. We shouldn't. We shouldn't falter. We shouldn't go back. We shouldn't think a second that no, 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 no. There might be something wrong with this. Except the unconditional truth of Moshe. Accept his pure word. Accept the pure connection that we have to him. And understand that if he said to do it, we should do it. Interesting word. Bayas Kolev, how did he get them quiet? You look at the wording in the Teda. show you Nebuch how people are Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu does it get greater? do we go higher? no Moshe Rabbeinu everything he did the Jews found fault. Gay fashte, gay boya medina. Go understand how that works. Meishir Abenu we're talking about forty days and forty nights, three times consecutively. He went up to heaven, didn't eat or drink or sleep. And on this person, there was always questions. Kolev starts his speech. Unbelievable. And he says, because the Jews are now in an uproar, the Meraglim came back and they started a, a terrible, terrible, practical revolution here against Moshe. You want us to go into this land? Did you hear what the Meraglim was saying about this land? And you want us to enter this land? Ayu Nishmit Alaman? Kolev had to get their ear. It's the brilliance of a Jew. Before he starts to talk, he says, And do you know what else Moshe did? Everybody froze. Shh. It became quiet. The entire nation just silenced. He's going to tell us something else about Moshe now. Moshe, your number one enemy? Seriously? So much so that you couldn't find a bigger simcha in life than listening to what Moshe, what else Moshe might have done? <laughs> and Kalev in turn turns around and says, He took us out of Egypt, he split the Yamsuf, he brought us the man, he brought... <laughs> Needless to say, at this point, I have you guys. You're listening to what I'm telling you. So now I have a message besides that as well. But his introduction that silenced the entire nation, do you know what else Moshe did? But you know something, my dear friends. We're talking about the Jews that were persecuted for centuries in Egypt. 
that came from Matan Torah. They stood by Har Sinai. Rabbi said they stood by Har Sinai physically. We stood there spiritually, but they stood there physically. And these very people who heard two dibris from Piagura, from God Himself, these very people on a dime turned around on Moshe. So much so they were willing to hear Chasashon, a word of Lashon Hara. We just finished talking about Miriam and Avia spoke Lashon Hara about Moshe, about his wife. And what happened to her? And here, the only thing that quiets them down is the fact that he might say another piece of Lashon Hara. It's a very, very powerful Aveda. No matter how true it is, no matter how real it is, talking about a fellow Jew is prohibited. No matter what you're trying to accomplish with it, you may not say anything about another Jew. And therefore, it's imperative that we don't even talk good about other Jews. Because even when you're talking good about a person, you're going to drop a hint of sarcasm. The first three speakers, one that said, I get a thousand people to laugh, I get a thousand people to cry, and the third one says, I get a thousand people, five hundred to laugh, five hundred crying. I said, how is that possible? So they brought a thousand people into the hall, and he started his tear-jerking, heart-rendering speech. Tired thousand people were crying hysterically, they were bawling. In the middle, he beats his hands up and goes, Now, if you didn't see this on video, you don't know what I just did. <laughs> but 500 started to laugh too. So, needless to say, when it comes to hearing something we shouldn't hear, when it comes to saying something we shouldn't say, it gets very, very, very precarious. It gets very hard to hold ourselves back. And Kolev proves just that by saying, do you know what else Moshe did and gets quiet silence. But let us go back to the differences of Yeshua and Moshe and Kolev. Their essence. Yeshua received his spirituality and his holiness, Milmaila Lamata, from up in heaven down onto the earth. Whereas Kolev was the other way around, his was within himself, his own Kaychas. From Milmata Lamaila. Yeshua was blessed by Moshe and therefore took the blessings from above upon him. Whereas Kolei was mispal for himself and therefore had that within him. So therefore, whatever came Omaila, 
which is a godly light, and in such in so much higher source. But it came into the world. It was not pure. It was not totally elevated. It still was in the mundane physical world. And therefore that cannot come down totally into the world. On the other hand, when the Kedusha starts on the world, it starts within the person, it wells up and it rises up. And therefore the person themselves is already part of the holiness. And therefore the person themselves can elevate this holiness. And therefore they make a change in world itself. And this is why Yeshua could not convince the people. Because his Kedusha came from the Maila, whereas Kolei's Kedusha came from himself, from his prayers. And this was Kolei's power, in essence, over the Jews, why he was able to talk. Bottom line, person needs to work on themselves. They need to elevate within themselves. Therefore, by Kolev himself, we find that the full strength of his Amuna. And he says, Even to go to heaven, if Mesha tells us, we can do it. In order to reach this level, one needs to purify, elevate everything that's around them. And then they can reach to this situation. Nothing in the world becomes too hard. And they bring down the Mamshach and the Saveda to make the entire world a world of Teda, at its whole, at its soul of the entire world. Until we actually merit the actual prophecy of Asida at its soul, then the future at its soul will become the entire world. This is a mission we have within ourselves. This is an inner strength that we need to bring about, that we need to strive to reflect on the world and to reflect on ourselves and within ourselves. Yes, we can have somebody that influences us. Yes, we can have a teacher that tells us. We can have somebody that gives us direction, that shows us through unconditional love their connection, and gives us everything that we need to know and have and hear, and gives us all the tools. But if we don't utilize it within ourselves, if we don't take the key to the door and open the door, if we don't go into the room and discover the furniture and the, all the beautiful things that are come to offer us, we don't cultivate what we are being given, it's worthless. It goes for naught. Our cultivation, our working and taking our tools and making something of it, that's what deserves credit. That's what makes Hashem proud. That's what makes the shepherd or the teacher proud.
we deviate slightly from in, within the parsha, and we have an interesting story. A man goes and cuts wood on Shabbos in public. We learned just received the tater, and on receiving the tater, we were told that someone who desecrates the Shabbos is chayiv misa. I'd like to preface this with a pair of stories the Chassid of the Rebbe Rashab Rabbi Yaakov Landau Allah Vashalom who was the Rav ultimately of Bnei Brak Yaakov Landau used to the, the, his times there was a breakout of typhus I told the story before and he used to deal with people he, used to, he knew of Terra medicine, shall we say it? Different medicines that one can put together with different things, according to Terra. And he would treat people. Ultimately, though, the antibodies of a body only hold out so much. And he contracted the disease as well. And he fell comatose. And he was as such for quite a while. During that time, his Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, had passed away. When he came out of his coma, he had questions for the Rebbe Rashab. Unfortunately, they told him what had happened. They told him, unfortunately, what had happened. Let's put the words properly. But don't throw me down the steps at all. And he couldn't hack it. He wrote a letter to the Rebbe and he put it in one of the Svarim of the Rebbe Rashab. Short time later, the Rebbe Rayat, the successor of the Rashab, Fidik Rebbe, Tzidereinu, went to the ale of the Rebbe Rashab. And he came, <laughs> he came back and he went to Yaakov Lando's bed and he said, I was just by the ale of my father in Rostov. He told me to stop writing he told me to tell you to stop writing stupid questions. Yaakov Landa was a very, very special Landa. And there was a chassid of the same contemporary of his who had a vodka factory. And one night as he was closing up, he hears in the storage something going on. And he comes in and sees two of the goyim, the workers, siphoning off from one of the barrels and readjusting the meter to say that nothing was taken out. He caught them, he fired them on the spot, and before he could go to the police to tell them what had happened, they ran to the police and snitched on him that he's siphoning off, and therefore the meters are not true. And obviously they got there the next morning, early morning, to find, lo and behold, that it was indeed true what they said, they arrested him, 
and he was being sentenced for trial. Bastutman. So it was decided someone has to travel to the stove to go to the Rebbe Rashab's oil to daven for him. Travel is dangerous and expensive and they pull together a few piastas, rubles, enough for the travel. They drew a girdle and fell upon Yaakov Landau to go. Yaakov traveled to Rastov and he davened there for many hours or days for this chosid, fellow chosid. And he came back in time, literally in the day for the trial. And he sat in the courtroom next to the chosid. And the prosecuting attorney takes the entire docket, paperwork and workups and proofs and everything, and he presents it to the judge with a big smile. Hands down, I got witnesses and everything. The chosid took out his trusty tillum, and he knew this is the only way he can connect, and the only way he can stay connected, and the only way that he can keep his sanity, and the only hope that he had. And took out his trusty tillum and sat and said to him, the judge lifts up his spectacles, puts them on, begins to read this documentary. He's reading, he's turning pages, turning pages, turning pages. The judge gets red in the face. So angry. He jumps up, he grabs the whole back, the whole bucket, turns around to the rubbish receptacle, the garbage can behind him, throws it in the garbage can and says, this is pure garbage. This is a lie. There's not a word of truth in these papers. He says, guards, arrest these witnesses. Arrest the prosecuting attorney. Throw the key away. He turns to the chassar and says, why are you here? Get out of here. You're free. Everybody was with their mouths gaping open. What was that? They understood. Yaakov Landau was successful in the shlichus. He's going to the hill. The Rebbe Rashabs in Astov. His tulis, because he davened for his friend so sincerely, won his kabul. And the man was set free. The Mikesh was a good Yid. He was a very good man. He saw that the Yidin did not grasp what it means to do a mitzvah, did not grasp what it meant Shmira Shabbos. So he went and set an example. And after chopping the wood, Pasik tells us, Vayakrivu Eisai. The people that had taken him out came. Where they come, El They came to Meisha and Aaron. We have several other situations like this in the Teda. Back in Baha'u'llah, for those of you who remember from all the way last week.
when it came to Pesach Sheni, and the people came to cry, Lamanigara, that is preceded by Vayikrivu Lifnei Meshav Lifnei Aaron. They came before Meshav and Aaron. And Rashi asks a very simple question because the Mechamash Mikra has this question. Why did they come to Meshav and to Aaron? If Moshe didn't know, how would Aaron know? So Rashi automatically answers the question for the Mechamash Mikra. They're both sitting together. So they came asking in the Beis Medrash. Similarly, a little later, in Pasha's Pinchas, a few weeks from now, we find another story. The Bnei Slavchad they come and stood in front of Mesha and Allah Zarakayan. And in front of the Nasiyam of the Eda, the entire Eda. They also asked the question to Mesha and what? And if they didn't know if Mesha didn't know then it went to the Kayans to the Khanim next to him. And there's answers, two answers there as to how that works. However, Rashi, champion of the Mechamash the Mikra, you're disappointing our Mechamash the Mikra and our Pasha. Because he's learning and you're not saying it. You're not telling us that they were together and that if Meisha didn't know, how would Aaron know? But if we scrutinize the situation here, when it came to Pesach Sheni, when it came to B'nai Stavchad, they came to ask a halacha, how do we act? And therefore we know that if Meisha didn't know it, how would Aaron know it? In our parsha, it's not the same story. Because it says, They didn't know how to kill him. They knew he had to die. They didn't know how. Because he was Mechal Shabbos, he had to die. How he had to be put to death, that they didn't know. So it wasn't a shail of halacha here. How to do it. it was only a technicality. The actual halacha. He was Chayiv Misa. And therefore we find that when Meshe did not know, it wasn't shot Meshe didn't know and Aaron might know yes or no. This question doesn't even come about. Only after given over to the Shusa Tzibur that he was in the hands of the Tzibur they did not know what to do with him now. So therefore they waited to go to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu how to deal with this. How does one be put to death?
And it's obviously the process they came to ask Mishnah. It was not a shaila and halacha. If they're able to give over the Mikeshish to the Tzibur to do this and deal with it. We see the Maisa that the Mikesh Aitzim is brought on right after the story of Aved Zara. If a person is Nikshal Aved Zara, the story of a Jew, then they can turn into Mikesh Aitzim and Shabbos. They be Mikhail Shabbos. Rashi brings his Pirish in the name of Mesha Darshan. This is why Aved Zara, the story of Aved Zara, is next to the story of Mikesh Teach us called Machalas the Shabbos Kila Eved Eved Zalilim. This is also in reference to all the Tamitzas of the Torah. But what actually is the note, the the thread attaching the two? With the point being the story of the Meraglim. Avedizara, we find something very interesting. It's one of the strongest and worst Avedizara, Yarek Yaver. One of the three Avedis a person needs to kill himself for. And how many people in our generations have done that? The Avedizara itself is not something that goes into the heart because the Jew believes in God. You don't believe that distort the belief of a Jew. But the outside, outwardly, you're, he's showing some kind of crack in the zimuna. But a person, that he wants, that he can, can possibly take himself away from God. So where does the person need to be made some nefesh? Where does the person need to have such sacrifice? And this is where it comes into the general point of Judaism that the Kavana is that a person after all said and done has to understand the most important thing in this world is to actually action to do and a person does something he does Avedizara the sin in its actual sin the severity of Avedizara he had Kavana to do this Although he needs, he know that Yarek Yaver, he needs to die rather than do it. Therefore, many Jews have given their lives for that, as the famous story of Chana and his seven sons. This is the main point of the Mekeshish. The Medrash tells us the Mekeshish did this Hashem Shemayim. He had all godly intents when he did it. He felt that after the sin of the Meraglim. When the decree was put upon the Jews, they're not going into Israel. Bnei Yisrael started to think and started to doubt, started to have second thoughts, started second guessing. Therefore he stood up and desecrated the Shabbos to be killed to show everybody and teach them the lesson. And this point ultimately is all in none of the Parsha. The stress of the main thing of doing 
the Chetam Meraglim, the sin of the Meraglim, the spies, they also didn't have the proper connection to their teacher, to their master, and therefore by the lack of connection, they were lacking in their Maisa who were Iker. So let us all connect, let us all reach out, let us all be one, let us take the message, let us take the mission, let us accept it, and let us take today of Gimel Sivan, may our prayers all be answered, and the main prayer of course, the prayer of Bias, Mashiach, and Kenu, and will be in Yerushalayim, in HaKadosh, this very Shabbos, Shabbos Mavarachim Chedesh Tamaz, Chedesh Hagula, Shabbat Shalom to all.